This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses join at the Fox Valley and Stevens Point, as well as all those who watch us online. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. Before we get into the service uh, message this morning, I want to remind you about our offering. We take this at the very end. For those of you who want to give cash or check, there are envelopes in front of you. You can use those and put them in the buckets on the way out at the doors. Uh, many people give online, recurrent giving, sign up so it happens automatically. It's very helpful to for our budgeting purposes. And then others use their phones at any given day to just use your phones on the Celebration app and you can just punch that in and give your offering that way. We want to honor God in our giving because uh, Jesus says he will bless those who give. How many of you want to be blessed? Two of you, all right. So the rest of us, we love it. This is awesome. We enjoy being blessed and you get there. How do you get blessed? On purpose. Everybody say on purpose. All right. Uh, a sad report, we uh, told you about uh, Peter who runs the orphanage in Myanmar, he came down with COVID and uh, was struggling greatly and he passed a couple of days ago. Uh, very heartbreaking for those of us who knew him and, uh, and we prayed fervently for him and said, well, why didn't God answer those prayers? I don't know. Remember, we just taught a couple of weeks ago about the account of uh, James and Peter. James... The whole church is praying for James. He dies. The very next event, uh, Herod arrests Peter, going to do the same thing to him. The church prays, and Peter is miraculously saved to the shock of those who prayed for him. You know, I say, why do these things happen? I don't know. It's God is God, right? And uh, we just trust him. And I'm pretty sure the first thing we're all going to say when we get to heaven is, oh, that's why. Uh, I think I got some water in my ear from the shower this morning. I got this weird going on in my head. If I pass out, you'll know what happened. Okay, so uh, I have some upcoming trips uh, that uh, we're going to be gone uh, for the next few Sundays. Um, many of you know that at the beginning of the year, I made the determination to cut back on my travels and 
slice them in half and just be here more, which we've been doing, and I love it. I just absolutely love it. But we book out like a year, a year and a half in advance. So some of that is still catching up. So I'll be patient with us. Uh, Bishop Sean will be here next Sunday, and he's a wonderful man. He loves you guys. He loves coming here. Actually, all the people that we have come love being here. So uh, we'll be hearing from him uh, next week. And then... Uh, uh, the Stevens Point campus, we've got some big changes happening there. We've got uh, some announcements coming up in the next couple of weeks. So you might want to stay tuned to find out what is happening on that front. This morning, I want to read to you. I have a really simple message, uh, and it's fine. It's August. <laughs> stay simple. <laughs> so, uh, so it's a real simple message. But before I actually get to the heart of the message, uh, I need to give you a bit of a biblical history lesson, all right? So let's strap in and see what happens here. Now, this is about, we're going to be talking about Absalom, who is one of the sons of David. David has multiple wives and lots of kids from all these wives. So Absalom is one of these sons. Now, um, here's what it says about Absalom in uh, 2 Samuel, the 14th chapter. In all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. He was, girls, drop-dead gorgeous. All right, he's like a ho chi Mama dude. And from the top of his head to the sole of his feet, there were, he had no blemishes. He had perfect Puerto Rican skin. All right? <laughs> now, whenever he cut his, the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair once a year because he liked to make it real heavy, you know long, uh, but it would become too heavy, and he'd cut, and he would weigh it, and the weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard, which is five pounds. Five pounds of hair, you know, was his thing. So, you know, so this guy looks like Fabio, all right? How many of you remember Fabio? Yeah, all you geezers, right? So, uh, young people, is that a character from Super Mario? No, the Fabio is, uh, actually, still, he's still around, he's since early 60s, and he's still... I looked him up, dropped dead gorgeous, like, what the heck? Anyway, so uh, all, he used to be the guy on the front of uh, these romance novels. You know, this gorgeous guy with a big muscles holding this woman. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and then he would do stints in movies and stuff like that. And uh, anyway, so, he, so this is Absalom. He's like, <gasps> to die for. All right? Well, Absalom... This really doesn't have anything to do with our story, but just the history lesson here. Absalom has a sister named Tamar and a brother from one of the other wives. So it's really his half-brother. Anyway, so the half-brother rapes his sister, which is not good, all right? And in typical fashion of the somewhat bar barbaric times 4,000 years ago, Absalom kills the brother. For just, oh, there's all this drama that happens here. Uh, and then he has to go into exile, you know, and then finally King David, let, okay, come home, all is forgiven, da 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 Although the guy had it coming, you know, I mean, oh, you read the story, it's, ugh. anyway. So, so anyway, in the course of time, he, he comes back, and then we read in 1 Samuel 15th chapter, verse 1, in the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. So... He's, you know, he's got like this Mac Daddy Rolls Royce and all these bodyguards. I mean, you got a little bit of ego when everywhere you go, you got 50 men 
running ahead of your chariot. That's a lousy job. What do you do? I just run in front of the chariot. So, and it's all about his ego and flexing his status. And uh, he is in love with himself. You know, he looks in the mirror and says, there's a beautiful man. Now, from the top of his head, whoops, I already read that. That's a gorgeous man. Where am I? Okay, so he would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to say, yo, dude, where are you from? And these guys would say, you know, you're from uh, New Franken or, you know, just outside of Appleton or wherever. And, and he'd kind of buddy up to these people. And Absalom says, look, because he'd hear their complaint. And he says, no, your claims are valid and proper, you know, but there's no representative of the king to hear you, and, which was not true. But he basically said, look, there's nobody you can go see. And uh, he said, boy, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or a case could come to me, and I would see that they would receive justice. And also, whenever anyone approached him, and they'd bow down to him, because he's a prince, right? Prince Absalom. And uh, Absalom reached out his hand. Hey, come here, man. He'd give him a big kiss and, uh, and hug him. And Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. And doing so, he stole the hearts of the people. He keeps this up for four years. For four years, whenever people would come to the gate asking, he'd, you know, he'd buddy up to him, where are you from? Good to see you. What's your problem? Oh, man, I wish somebody could help you. you know, boy, just, you know, if I could be that guy. I'd really, so I mean, he's intentionally undermining his father, the king, and it, it, it's bad, and it goes on for four years. Uh, so at the end of these four years, everybody loves Absalom. He's very successful in, in pulling this thing off. He's this good-looking dude. Everybody's crazy about him, and then he goes and has himself declared king, and all the Israelites at this point go, yeah. You know, it's like having, you know, one president nobody likes and the next president, oh, yeah, let's get this guy. So they vote in. They don't vote him, but they <laughs> cheer him on. Uh, King Absalom. Well, we pick up in verse 13. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people are with Absalom. What does that mean? He knows what's happening. He has usurped his authority. He's declared himself king. And David said to all his officials who are with him in Jerusalem, Come on, you guys, we have got to get out of here. We must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring us, bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. So he hears the word. He's a little bit behind what's going on. Uh, and once he finds out that all the people's hearts are with Absalom and now Absalom's claiming to be king, he says, we have got to leave or we're not going to survive this. So he gets all these people and all the men of uh, Jerusalem and all those who supported the king, and they are leaving the city. And verse 23 says, the whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king also crossed the Kidron Valley and all the people moved toward the wilderness. David continued, verse 30, uh, up the Mount of Olives, Weeping as he went. Here's the great king. He's crying. He's weeping. This is, this is like an extremely dark moment, if you can imagine what is happening here. People's hearts are just torn as the king they loved is no longer the king. His own son has created this rebellion. 
they've got the numbers. The other guys don't. Uh, so David continues up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, and his head was covered, and he was barefoot, and all the people with him covered their heads too, and were weeping as they went up. Can you imagine? These are grown men, women, and they're bawling as they're following the king, and they're just trying to get out of Dodge before Absalom comes in and takes over. Uh, so uh, we pick up in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 16, verse 5. As the king approached, whatever this name is, <laughs> a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out there. Oh, now we got history. So now what happens? Remember, David takes the place of Saul. Saul, the Lord had taken his hand off of Saul. Eventually, Saul dies in battle, and this is when David becomes king. And this is, what, 20, 30 years after he killed uh, Goliath. It takes a while before David becomes the king. And uh, anybody who is associated with Saul, some of them still are angry at David. David didn't kill Saul. He fell in battle, you know, but they said, yeah, I don't like you, you know. So here's a guy who comes from one of Saul's clans, uh, or the clan that Saul came from, and his name is Shimei, Shimei, whatever, son of Gera, and he curses he came out. So he's just cursing as he sees David going by. And he pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guard were on David's left and right. As he cursed, Shimei said, get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel. Of course, these guys all have British accents. So uh, it's like a scene out of a Monty Python movie. If you, ever seen, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, you. Nothing but dung on you. But he's throwing stuff at him and dirt and cursing him. Now, Abishai, the son of Zariah, says to the king, why should this dead dog curse the Lord King? Let me go over and cut off his head. <laughs> They're a little dramatic in these days, to say the least. So now, this ignore, you, you can't come to a king and start calling him names and cursing at him and throwing rocks at him. You take your life into your own hands. Uh, but the king, I mean, he is so devastated at this. He has no confidence. I mean, and we've all been in bad times. You know when you're like in a really bad time in your life and you're just at the bottom. And this is David and he just feels horrible. So King David says, you know, what does this have to do with you? You know, if he's cursing and he's basically implying, he says, because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? And he's very fatalistic. He's like, oh, who knows, maybe God told him to do it, you know? Maybe God told him, you know, what do you care? You know, leave him alone. David said to Abishai and all the officials, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more is this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse for the Lord has told him to, which the Lord did not tell him to, but this is where he's at. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery or restore me uh, to restore to me his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. So he just, you know, my son's trying to kill me. This guy's calling us poopy heads. What, what do we care? You know, everything's bad. So David and his men continued along the road 
while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing him as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. This, this guy's crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he just throws at the whole time. They're just going along, taking this humiliation from this guy who is a distant relative of Saul. And, you know, family gets crazy, right? We all know family gets crazy. You know, and he's got this family ties and he's mad because that family is no longer in power. Even though Saul's dead, it still should be the line of Saul and the line of Saul is now cut out. And he's, he's mad about it. Uh, the king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted and there he refreshed himself. Now, if Absalom attacks now, he could finish off David. They're on the run. They are disheartened. They are discouraged. And the smart thing now is for Absalom to strike. So he goes to one of the respected advisors and the advisor says, go, go get him. If you attack now, you can wipe him out and he's dead on right. Uh, but David had left an advisor behind and said, listen, curry favor with, this, with Absalom and if you get a chance, Give him bad advice. So Absalom listens to the first guy and who tells him really the right thing to wipe out David. But says, well, let me hear from so-and-so because, you know, he's a respected advisor too, but David has already planted him. So he comes and says, listen, you don't want to go after David now because if you go after him now, it's like a bear cub, you know, to try and protect it, his kids. And, and you have to know that David was one of the most fierce fighting men in really the history of mankind. This guy, if we had time to read some of the stuff that he would, had done, you know, night taking out Goliath as a teenager was his starting point. <laughs> you can, where do you go from there? I mean, he go into battle up against all kinds of, you know, one time it says that there are, you know, he's going along and a bunch of guys up on the hillside, Philistines are, you know, yelling at him, you know, and insulting him and the smart thing would be to just keep moving. David gets ticked off. So he starts climbing up the side of the hill to kill these guys. Now, you ever see the movie Princess Bride? Yeah, you remember how the guy climbed on the end? <laughs> what was the guy's name? <laughs> I can't remember. Anyway, he's waiting for him to climb up so that he can have a big sword fight with him. Uh, well, I don't think that happens in real life. If your enemy's climbing up, you try to kill him. So the whole time David's coming, they're trying to throw rocks at him and everything, and David just kept, he wouldn't stop. So what is with this guy? And David eventually gets up there and then single-handedly kills the whole lot of them. This is not a guy you want to tick off. David, and then David, the Bible talks about David's mighty men. And these mighty men did greater things than David did. I, you know, we had time for all this. It's rather dramatic. Anyway, he has got the toughest, meanest, baddest guys you can imagine that surround him. It is an absolutely stunning story. Um, one time, these guys were uh, gathered together and, and they're listening to David. The Philistines are, you know, encircled around Bethlehem, his hometown. 
Jesus was born in the city of David, where he was born in Bethlehem. Anyway, they got Bethlehem surrounded, and David goes, oh, man, I'm so thirsty. I wish I could just get a drink of water from, from uh, the well in Bethlehem. Well, these three guys hear him. Said, well, let's go get him some water. <laughs> the king doesn't tell him to do this. So they go and they break through the lines to go, just three guys, with a bucket and pull out the water from Bethlehem. And then they got to go back, which means they got to break through the lines again. To go. I mean, these guys were monsters. And they finally come to David and said, here's your water, king. And he's like, oh my goodness. And David wouldn't drink it. He poured it out on the ground because he didn't think he was worthy of that kind of sacrifice. Personally, I risk my neck to get you a drink of water. You better drink the water. All right. So anyway, so anyway, he says, look, these guys are really bad dudes. You don't want to mess with them. They're probably really mad right now. And then Absalom buys the advice of the planted advisor. And this was a big deal. The first advisor was so insulted because the king didn't listen to his advice. He went out and hanged himself. I give you advice and you don't follow it. I ain't hanging myself. I'm telling you right now. But this is what this guy does. So anyway, all this weight. So he gives, he's trying to now make his battle plans and he gives David and his guys a chance to regroup and pull it together. So then we have the big battle. This is in Samuel, the 18th, 2 Samuel, 18th chapter. David's army marched out of the city to fight Israel. Israel now is all behind Absalom. And the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. And there, Israel's troops were routed by David's men. He had time to pull it together, get their energy. And these guys were just massive, incredible fighters. And they just wipe out. It says here that the casualties that day of the Israelites was 20,000 men. That's a lot of guys. I mean, in the Vietnam War and all the years, we lost about 58,000 men. Israel lost a third of that in a day. I mean, there are bodies strewn everywhere. And David's men are controlling the battlefield. Absalom sees it's not going well. And he's freaking out. He's trying to get away. In verse 9, Absalom happened to meet some of David's men. And he was riding his mule. He wants to get out of there. And as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, guess what? Absalom's hair got caught in the tree. And... Uh, while the mule kept riding, <laughs> he's left hanging. <laughs> and he's just dangling there. Now, when one of the men saw what had happened, he told Joab. Joab's the big general. And he says, I, I just saw Absalom. <laughs> he's hanging in a tree. And Joab said, uh, what? You saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? Then I would have to give you 10 shekels of silver and a warrior's belt. Well, David had explicitly told Joab and everybody, if you see Abs, don't hurt him. All right? Well, he says, man, I'd given you 10 shekels of silver. You just killed the guy. And the guy says, look, even if a thousand shekels were weighed into my hands, I would not lay a hand on the king's son. In our hearing, we heard you. We heard what the king said. The king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, whatever, protect the young man Absalom for my sake. And if I had put my life in jeopardy and nothing's hidden from the king, you would have kept your distance from me. 
Oh, I, I don't know why he did that, King. You know, just, so he, this guy's no idiot. Look, you can give me all the money you want. I know if I'd get caught, you'd abandon me, and then I get killed. Uh, so Joab says, I'm not going to wait like this for you. So he took three javelins. He goes over to where <laughs> poor Absalom's dangling, and, uh, and he plunged these three javelins into Absalom's heart while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. Uh, he's not dead. He's going to die. He's, he would certainly bleed out uh, given time. But it says, then 10 of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. So, you know, Joab comes in, sticks darts in his heart. He's bleeding out. Then these 10 guys get around and, you know, tear him to pieces, and they kill him. Uh, then Joab sounded the trumpet. <laughs> Sounds like a margarine commercial. But... Uh, uh, then he, uh, you remember that commercial? I'm really dating myself here. Half the congregation has no idea what my references today. But uh, um, so he blows the trumpet, you know, hey, it's over. And, uh, and then they took Absalom, verse 17, threw him into a pit in the forest and piled up a large heap of rocks over him. Meanwhile, the Israelites fled to their homes, I bet. <laughs> there was like cockroaches, man. Everybody's getting out of there. This was not a good day for them. All of that to get to my actual point of this sermon. <sighs> now, David is devastated when he hears that Absalom is dead. And Job was told, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. And everybody can hear it. And for the whole army, the victory that day was turned into mourning. Because on that day, the troops heard it said, the king is grieving for his son. And the men stole into the city. Oh, they sneaked in. They were ashamed. Instead of having a great victory and celebrating, I mean, a massive turn of events, now they put David back on the throne. They are sneaking into the city as men steal in who are ashamed when they flee from battle. The king covered his face and he's crying out loud, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab, this general, hears it. Now, David has no idea Absalom is the one who, who killed his son. But that's not even the point. I posted some of this on a Facebook post the other day, and all these Bible nerds got on there and started debating all these details. I'm missing the whole point. The point is, Joab goes into the house of the king, and he's trying to get him to pull it together. He is disheartening the entire army. They are feeling horrible, and instead of, they've all risked their lives for him. And now they feel ashamed that they went into this battle because of the way David is acting. And Joab went into the house of the king and said, today you have humiliated all your men who have just saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters and the lives of your wives and concubines. And then this verse, you love those who hate you and you hate those who love you. David's priorities were completely upside down. So yeah, but it was his son. I get it. His son was trying to kill him. His son was trying to kill all of these men who fought for him. His son was trying to kill and destroy everything. He said, well, he's still a dad. I know, but man, the way he's acting, this is not good. His priorities got stuck upside down. You ever... Get yourself in a situation like that. We start loving the things we shouldn't love. And, uh, you know, instead of pulling away from the things that are bad for us, we go towards them. 
But we've all been in these situations, right? Our priorities get upside down. And Joab comes and just basically rebukes the king at great risk. You didn't tell these kings off. You tell a king off like that, he's going to kill you. But Joab had had it. He goes in and says, you love those who hate you. You hate those who love you. Your priorities are completely out of whack. And you've made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead. And then he hollers at the king and says, now get up. Go encourage your men. I swear by the Lord, if you don't go out, not a man will be left with you by nightfall. This will be worse for you than all the calamities that have come on you from your youth until now. So the king got up, took his seat in the gateway. When the men were told the king is sitting in the gateway, they all came before him and he pulled it together. So here's the thing. Oftentimes our priorities will get messed up and stuff like that. Uh, And then someone will come into our lives to hopefully get in our face and challenge us. You need to stop. You need to stop what you're doing. The problem is most of us, we end up in situations we don't listen to those people. We don't, in fact, we get angry at those who try and straighten us out. But the Bible says, if you rebuke a wise man, he'll love you for it. One of the signs of, of, of how wise you are is how do you respond when people get in your face? You know, someone give you advice and you, you, know, you know you should be like, yeah, shut up, ah! then you're, the Bible would say you're in the foolish category. A wise person listens. Look, and again, at times we all start acting in ways we shouldn't act. We start doing things we shouldn't do. And when someone comes in who loves you and cares about you, say, you need to stop. You need to stop what you're doing. And that's a big category. We all can do all kinds of stuff. When that happens, be like David. Listen, listen. There's a proverb in uh, Proverbs 27, 6 that says this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Uh, we like to surround ourselves with people who like to, it's a great analogy, they kiss up. <laughs> That's all they do. They're a bunch of yes men. Oh yeah, you're in whatever your situation. We always run to people who we know thinks like us. That's why they're our friends because they think as crazily as we do, right? Uh, and we like to, whoa, our tell them, oh yeah, great. I mean, they don't even know what's going on. They're gonna tell you no matter These people are not always helpful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Someone who will challenge you and say, you know, don't do that. Don't act like that. Get your priorities. Man, you're caring about the people who hate you and you're ignoring the people who love you. Your priorities are messed up. You know, and listen. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Why does it say wounds? Because it hurts. It hurts. But you will heal and you will succeed at the end of the day if you'll be listening to wisdom listening to the proper advice and let those who truly love you, because it says it's a friend, wound you and get in your face and call you out. Let's not live our lives in such a way that we can't handle someone telling us that we're not doing something right. And people today, their self-esteem has crashed. Everybody's insecure. You can hardly say anything to anyone. Just look at Facebook. Good Lord. You can't say anything without people going crazy. And God, oh, I hate you. It's like this guy <laughs> throwing dirt on their heads and rocks. You're a terrible person, you know, because nobody wants to be contradicted. It's okay to be contradicted. Let's get in a place that someone can call you out, even if you don't agree with them, and at least listen. Because the more we listen, the more likely we will be to succeed.
All right, let's, we're gonna go into our time of communion this morning. And I ask the ushers to come down at our various campuses and get ready to serve us communion. Here's now where we point to Jesus, the author of our faith. He died on that cross 2,000 years ago to take the sins of the world. If we would put our trust and hope in him, then we can have forgiveness of all of our sins and things made right. And the night before he died, he took bread and said, this is my body, wine, this is my blood that I'm doing for the forgiveness of your sins. And he says, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And the Bible tells us that when we do this, that we should examine ourselves and reflect and see that uh, everything's taken care of in our hearts. So let's all bow our heads as we pray. And I'm gonna pray a, a prayer of forgiveness uh, right now for all of us uh, before we take communion together. Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning, and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause to examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you in any way, thought, word, or deed by what we've done, maybe what we've left undone. If we haven't loved you with our whole heart, if we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, for the sake of your son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, we ask you to have mercy on us and to forgive us of our sins. Lord, help us be willing to hear. Help us be willing to listen to those around us. Maybe who have contrary opinions and Help us not to be the kind of people that lash out whenever somebody says something that we don't like. The very words we dislike might be the very words that'll help us and guide and lead us by your Holy Spirit so we have the wisdom to know whom to listen to and whom not to. But it starts with having an open heart. Make us people with tender hearts. Help us, whatever hard shell we have around our hearts, break that up in us this morning, we pray. Help us to be tender people not afraid knowing that we are secure in you in Jesus name amen and I'll tell you what as the heads are still bowed and people are reflecting maybe you're thinking you know I've never asked Jesus in my life um, well let me encourage you you can do that right now just ask him say Jesus would you come into my life and forgive me of my sins you can take your first steps of faith with us this morning and, and experience this wonderful grace that we've been celebrating this day Amen.